Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 59. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And I, I kind of can't believe you're here right now. <laughs> I kind of can't believe we're, we're going a little late with this episode, but better late than never. Yes. Um, it was, it's been a lot in the last couple of days. Between you guys wrapping up your festival and then today, th- this, this torrential rain that they basically delayed the Yankee game yesterday. Yeah, that was... They, they uh, knew it was going to come. They jumped the shark with that one a little bit, but it was a good call. It was a good call, but, I mean, you drove home in it. I was out in, you know, at work today. It was like driving into the backside of water. Ha! Uh, but it was... It's it was a like great a, analogy, it but it's like true. No, it's true. It's true. Yeah, they said that the pressure drop is similar to, like, a Category 2 hurricane, although we don't have those winds but the pressure drop is similar. It has just been like one thing after another, but we're here. Jackie's here. I'm here. We're here. You're here. Sit back. Relax. Enjoy our review of Maleficent. Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, opening this weekend. And I'm sort of, you know, I, 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 I looked at the plot of the movie, which I don't usually do. Because I I always fear that a movie is going to be spoiled if I look at the plot ahead of time. But after having watched this movie a couple of times this week, I kind of couldn't figure out exactly how they were going to make a sequel of this film in which the title is called The Mistress of Evil. And I guess it sort of makes sense. The whole point is there's going to be another war in the next movie. Spoiler alert. Well, read the plot. I mean, they kind I of haven't, I haven't looked at anything. I purposely didn't because I was curious to see where they were going to draw from. I mean, Sleeping Beauty was already a complete story. Right. Then they did Maleficent instead of doing a remake, which I can appreciate because how many times are we going to see a princess prick her finger on the steering wheel? Yeah. It's, it's been done quite a number of times. I mean, if you watch the trailer enough, I... You, it doesn't really spoil anything to say that there's a war. They kind of say it in the trailer. It's just not so direct. But after having watched this, I'm really curious to see, and we're going to know this weekend, I'm really curious to see how they weave that storyline in. Yeah, so stay tuned for our Monoreal in a Minute review when we go see Maleficent. Yes. We'll but maybe expand upon that a little bit. Yes, but before we catch the new Maleficent movie, we do, of course, have to talk about the original Maleficent film from 2014. We open on the moors, a magical forest bordering the human kingdom, and meet a fairy named Maleficent. One day, the border is breached by a peasant boy named Stefan, who befriends her and returns to visit despite the danger it may cause him. Over the years, their friendship turns to love, which doesn't last when Stefan becomes blinded by his ambition. As he pursues power, Maleficent grows to be protector of the moors. King Henry tries to conquer her realm, but proves no match for Maleficent, who wounds him, and on his deathbed, he declares that whoever kills her will marry his daughter the princess and take the throne. Knowing her weaknesses, Stefan visits Maleficent in the moors under the guise of warning her that King Henry wants her dead, and instead drugs her, cuts off her wings, and brings them to the king to appear that he's killed her. 
Scorned, Maleficent turns the beautiful nature of the Moors dark and enlists a crow named Dievil to be her wings and servant. Dievil keeps an eye on the human kingdom and one day informs Maleficent that King Stefan and his wife are having a baby and there will be a grand celebration for her christening. Now you may have heard this part, but Maleficent is pissed. She crashes the party and curses the princess that by her 16th birthday, she will prick her finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel and fall into a deep sleep from which she will never awaken. King Stefan begs for mercy and Maleficent decides the curse can be broken only by true love's kiss, the gift that he had given her for her 16th birthday. Blah, 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 spinning wheels destroyed, blah, 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 fairies, cottage in the woods. Maleficent sees that the fairies are completely unfit for this task, and with the help of Dievil, they assist in caring for baby Aurora from afar. King Stefan doesn't want to waste any time, certainly not 16 years, so he sends an army to find and kill Maleficent, who has fortified the border of the Moors with an impenetrable wall of thorns. After many failed attempts, King Stefan grows more paranoid to a point of madness where he doesn't even care about his wife's declining health. With her 16th birthday approaching, Aurora encounters Maleficent one day whilst out in the woods. Recognizing her silhouette from her shadow, Aurora believes Maleficent is her godmother, who has been watching over her all these years. Maleficent has grown to care for Aurora after all this time and tries unsuccessfully to break her curse. On the day before her 16th birthday, Aurora meets Prince Philip in the woods, so she decides she would like to live in the moors with Maleficent. When she tells her guardians of her plans to move out, they spill the beans about her past and Maleficent's true identity. Unescorted and unannounced, Aurora goes to the castle to confront her father. Blah, 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 prophecy fulfilled, sleep like death. Maleficent tries to save Aurora by abducting Philip and forcing him to kiss her, but it doesn't work. Maleficent apologizes to Aurora and kisses her goodbye, which does do the trick. As she and Aurora attempt to leave, they are ambushed by King Stefan and his guards who drop an iron net on Maleficent. She transforms Dievil into a dragon who fights for her while Stefan prepares to kill her himself. Just as he is about to deliver the final blow, Aurora finds Maleficent's severed wings and sets them free. When they are reattached, Maleficent is unstoppable and fights Stefan but can't bring herself to kill her old flame. As she walks away, Stefan attacks her and then she has no choice. They plummet from the tower and Maleficent lets Stefan fall as she flies away. Maleficent returns the Moors to their former beauty and crowns Aurora queen to unify the two kingdoms. So a lot going on here. Um, on the surface, this is one of those backstories that you're very excited about because we waxed poetic last week about Maleficent and how she is one of the top Disney villains of all time. And I remember being very excited when this movie came out. And this movie did a lot of things good. But if there's one thing that I'll just throw in there off the bat that I did not love about this movie, it's that I didn't need to see Maleficent care for Aurora. I thought that it watered the character down and I thought that it made her far less scary than she was in the original film. Now, I understand in the original film, the reality of it is she's not going after Aurora because Aurora's done nothing to, to her personally. She's going after the king and the queen 
because she feels spited for being left out of this christening celebration. But I don't feel that she's quite as evil in this film as she was in the original Sleeping Beauty. And as crazy as this may sound, I feel that that's a lot of her appeal. Yeah, it's like one of those things. Our friend Pat Gessner, who we've had on the show before, has said it best. When they do these horror movies and they try to give backstory to somebody like Michael Myers, who's just a psychopath serial serial killer, it almost makes them less scary because when they don't have a motive and they're just going around killing people, it's far more evil. What I do like that they did here is that they gave context as to why she's so upset that she wasn't invited. Agreed. In the initial Sleeping Beauty, or the original, I should say, Sleeping Beauty, she just shows up and is annoyed that she didn't get the invite. And it's kind of like, well, what did you expect? You're evil. You live in the woods. You're completely detached from the kingdom. Did you really expect an invitation? And we know how the story goes from there. Here, I really like that there's a reason that she wasn't, a more specific reason that she wasn't invited, other than that she's just the crazy lady in the woods, uh, or the Moors, as it were. Um, But I like that it's given a lot more context with the backstory that, you know, she fell for King Stefan. Um, And I like that it wasn't just that he was a successor to the throne that, you know, he did care for her, but he was just blinded by his ambition and climbing the ladder. Um, And what I really, really liked was that they gave even more context to the true love's kiss. And even though that was something that they changed, because initially Meriwether is the one who puts the break on the curse this was her doing but it almost makes her more evil because she doesn't believe in love anymore because she's been scorned by this guy right and it's it's an all-time great jab yeah and she has that little scowl on her face when she says it to him i mean listen i have no issue with the backstory because as you pointed out and you've saved me a lot of talking which i'm sure a lot of people are thanking you for right now um (laughs) I think that it is a spectacular motivation because something that Angelina Jolie did not deny, and there was some controversy around this film when it came out, is that it's sort of a euphemism for abuse in many ways. Her being drugged, her having her wings cut off, it is a euphemism for abuse. And... They had said, you know, how better to show a scorn and to motivate her than to put her through this hellacious situation. I'm down with it. I dig it. It's great. The issue that I have is that I think that she does go too soft. Other than that, they got a lot of things right in this movie, up to and including all of the things that you just pointed out. Well... That's what I'm saying that they did right. But to go back to what you were saying before, it completely changed the story from there. Right. And that's what I want to get into because there are some things that I think work and there's some things that don't. 
without, I mean, obviously without getting too far ahead and giving our opinion, but let's talk about more of the big differences with the story. The first and most obvious being, I think, when we see Maleficent as a child, we learn that she was also a fairy. Um, I like that in the context of the story, especially because, you know, like you said, it, it is kind of a metaphor for abuse. And, you know, there is that phrase that hell has no fury like a woman scorned. And that's kind of where she she drives her power and her energy from. But um, I think it's also interesting because it makes the story it's it's almost like she's like a fallen angel in a way. Right. Because in the very beginning of the movie, there's a scene where Maleficent as a child fixes a broken tree limb. And I think it's important I think it's more important than people give it credit for because it shows that she not only has respect for the Moors, but she has a desire to help and fix others. That's a really good point because it is almost like this whole montage as she's flying over the Moors. She's greeting all of the creatures that live there. She's almost, I dare say, as Lottie Da, as Aurora in Sleeping Beauty. Just without the singing. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely like that for the context of the story. What I don't like is that she's supposed to be a fairy, but she doesn't look like the rest of them. Because we do meet who are supposed to be Flora, Fauna, and Merryweather. And this, I'm just going to come right out and say it. I hate what they did here. They are far less endearing and far less fun. They changed the names, first of all, which, why? What was the point of You know, and I actually tried to find a reason why, and I, like, upon research, I could not find a reason why they changed the names. I, I don't know why you would. I mean, I we had said it last week that, you know, we didn't realize, because Sleeping Beauty wasn't a big part of our repertoire when we were kids, how big of a role the fairies really play. And like as a kid, you do appreciate that they're the comedic relief mm -hmm. and they're funny and they're engaging. But like what I had realized was that they really are the backbone of the story because they're what gets Philip past her to save Aurora. Yeah. And not only do they have far less screen time in this one, you've just completely stripped them away and dumbed them down completely. Yeah, and not just dumb them down in terms of their role in the film. They're just kind of dumb, like in general. Yeah, they almost, and it's funny because I love this movie, but they remind me of what you don't like about the Sanderson sisters in Hocus Pocus. Yep. And they even kind of look like them now, too. Yep. It, it's weird. Yep. <laughs> what I really don't like, though, is that they still sort of have their magic. Even though yeah. they're, you know, they grow to human size, the one of them still has the butterflies, like, constantly flying around, and I'm like... Yeah, and, and I don't why? like the entire why? setup for that, because... The one, and I, I don't even remember their names. That's how forgettable they are. It's like milk thistle, something flower, and it's whatever. whatever it is. So they they turn from fairies to full grown women, and the one goes, "Okay, so now we are full grown women living as peasants, raising our infant child." Oh, okay, great. It was like 
it, it happened so fast and it was like way too convenient. Yeah, I mean, granted, we are supposed to know the story, so we don't really need that much time to set it up. But at the same time, it was still rushed. Yeah. Like for this story, you do kind of have to forget that we know anything about Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an origin story. Right. And give give us a reason why, you know, especially because then they're so unprepared for the task at hand. It, there's no debate because they have to live in hiding whether or not to use it. Yeah. There's no pretense of we have to hide our magic and appear, the you know, and, and really act the role. It just comes together very quickly. It's very sloppy. And you don't see the relationship with them develop with Aurora. No, not at all. Not in the very least. It, they they all seem so detached from her because even when they're supposed to be watching her, they're so concerned with bickering with each other that at one point, Aurora nearly starves to death and Devil and Maleficent have to help get her fed. And then she almost walks off a cliff and they have to save her. Like there's just, there's so much going on here that just fails. The whole thing fails, you know, and that's what made them so endearing in the original movie is that they, they took responsibility for watching Aurora for the King and the Queen and for the betterment of the kingdom. And they Mm -hmm. were so serious about it. The three in this movie just seem like, well, it's the situation that we're in, but we don't really care that much. Because they, right. they don't really ever seem into it. You know what I'm saying? They don't seem like they grasp the concept of what they're doing, nor do they come off as having any interest in doing it. No, and the, you would think that there would be a bigger investment for them because they're the ones who watched Maleficent change. They saw her relationship develop with Stefan. They saw her get her heart broken. So you would think that they know her wrath and there'd be all the more reason to protect Aurora. Yeah. And it's just not there. They're the three most unmotivated characters in this movie, which is an issue when they were the three, three, I'm not going to say the three best characters in the first film, but three of the best. And other than Maleficent herself, they were probably the three most important characters, more so than the title character, more so than Philip, more so than the king and the queen. So to have them completely watered down in this version of the story really, really, I think, is a step back. No, and most of that could have been accomplished with a couple of throwaway lines. It didn't have to be a huge sequence. It wasn't something you had to spend a lot of time on. No, not at all. Um... Let's talk about the scene where Maleficent finds out that Aurora has been born for a second. Okay. Because this scene stood out to me. We'll go back because there was a lot that happened in between. But let's go back to, let's, let's jump ahead for just a second. And this is really a compliment to Angelina Jolie, who kills it, by the way, in this movie. Oh, yeah. She, we'll, she, we'll definitely circle She rocks to that. this thing. Yeah. But when she finds out that Stefan has had a child, you see the pain in her eyes of that news. 
But then you suddenly see her turn, and again, it's all in the eyes. The way that she emoted, it's almost as if you could hear the audible ping go off in her head. And I thought that that was the moment. In spite of all the other things that happened, I feel like this is the moment where she changed. As strange as that may seem. Because I think this is the first time you really see her scheming. I think it's the first time you no longer see her as a victim. You now see her as the aggressor. And I think that it's a very important scene in this movie. Yes and no. I mean, I agree with you. It It's definitely where it changes from being hurt by him to it, it's like there's nothing left to lose. Like, obviously, she knows that he's already married, but any hope that she has of reconciliation is now gone. But I think the bigger change is when she loses her wings, especially because, you know, and we're going to talk more about her performance, but there's such a guttural reaction to that. Um, and I think, and, I, and I'm probably going to use this comparison a lot, um, this reminds me of Wicked a lot when we get the backstory of the Wicked Witch of the West and there is a love story that plays into that as well and there is a moment in Wicked it's a little bit different because it's a whole song where she decides that every good thing that she tries to do is circumvented so she's just not going to bother anymore and it's a decision that she makes and she's like nope I'm done I'm done. I'm walking away. And I kind of feel like that's what happens with her wings. And that's the big turning point. But regardless, we're both right because there is a transformation and it's, it's a very calculated to decision that she's just done. Right. I think the difference is in the moment where she gets her wings cut off, as I pointed out before, she's the victim and you do feel very bad for her. But I feel like the moment where she decides she's going to that castle, it's like, there's our Maleficent. There's the evil Maleficent that we all know and embrace. But after she loses her wings, that's when she turns the whole kingdom dark. It's so just a I'm lot right. that happens. Well, let's talk about... <laughs> all right, let's... You can't see the dirty look that I just got from Sean So, so listen, let's, let's talk about the setup to all of this. Okay. You see... Stefan and Maleficent as kids. The child actors are really good, by the way. And I think that they look the part. I buy them as child versions of the adult actors. And oh, for sure. For sure. Respectively. I think they did a really good job. Um, I do like the backstory that they had a bit of a romantic relationship. Let's talk about the scene where she does get her wings cut off. Mm -hmm. Is it is a brutal scene to watch. Now, you don't actually see him remove the wings, but it doesn't change the fact that you do watch Stefan go to her and he plays up on her trust and he drugs her. This is a very harsh scene. And I go so far as to say, it's probably one of the most bothersome scenes that we've reviewed up to this point in this podcast. 
Right, because even though he can't bring himself to kill her, that doesn't Which was his initial intention, by the way. Right. It doesn't change the fact that he still drugged her. And it's like you said, he he played up on the trust. And he knew exactly when King Henry wanted her dead what he was going to do. Yeah, well, I mean, the initial plan was kill her and that he didn't have it in him to do it, but to cut her wings off and then, you know, you're leaving her without really her most important asset. No, and it's especially... It's what makes her what she is. Right, because she's the protector of the Moors, so she also needs that for her role as, as you know, a defenseman, really. Um, and that's that's the other thing, too, is that prior to this the king had attacked once before but they proved no match for her because she had everybody rallying behind her right um and then she heard him and then you know this was like his dying wish was to see her dead and stefan pretty much knew he was the only one who was going to be able to get close enough to her not because he was going to stage an attack but because it was just going to you know he was just going to go there and and under the guise of I'm going to make amends with you. It's a big change from the Stefan that removed his iron ring off his hand when he realized it would burn her, when he hardly knew her from Adam, just because, and they pointed out in the film, because he wanted to touch her again without hurting her. One thing this movie does a very good job of is developing characters. I think they did it well with Maleficent, although I don't always love the decisions that they made with her. I think she developed as a character throughout the movie. I think Stefan develops as a character throughout the movie, and we'll talk about how he really changes towards the end of the movie in just a few minutes. But I think that that's a very strong suit of this film, and I do like her relationship with Dievel, because in Sleeping Beauty, she's got this pet raven, Mm. and He's kind of like her second in command for all intents and purposes, although he doesn't speak. It's like if Iago didn't speak. Exactly. But <laughs> can you I, can you imagine that Iago no, not speaking? No, I can't. Um, and I was fine with it for Sleeping Beauty, but I like how in this film they played up on it. They gave him a voice. He was able to shape shift, you know, at her command between really anything she wanted him to be. But I like the fact that she targeted him, saved his life. He said, okay, I'm going to be your servant now, and what do you want? You're my wings now, because I don't have them anymore. I was like, this is brilliant. Same. This was a change that they made that really, really worked, especially, like you said, that he's the metaphorical wings for her. The first 15 or 20 minutes of this movie, I was like, this this is spectacular. This is an instant classic. It's a great, great setup. So... We then find out that they've had the child, and she goes to the christening. When she enters that party, she is the character. I remember the first time you see Angelina Jolie in the traditional Maleficent garb, I literally said, wow, out loud in the movie theater. She was that animated character come to life on screen. Yeah, and she really wanted this role, too. They said they wouldn't have made the movie without her. Yeah, she heard rumors that they were doing it, and she really pursued it. And I believe she even has executive producer credit because she she championed it so much. But she, I mean, she really worked 
like even even just you know and we'll get into this a little bit more um how when aurora is a kid uh they they didn't have like a lot of the child actors were afraid of her so she volunteered her own child to be in the film so that you know it wasn't a kid that was going to run screaming and she really like worked with her kid to make sure that they got the scenes done right but um yeah back back to the big entrance what I like too is not just that they nailed it because we did spend a long time on last week's episode talking about how she's got one of the best villain entrances in the Disney catalog. Um, and, and they hit that perfectly. But just in the context of this movie too is that now they've built and we've seen her fall in love and get hurt and then get basically crippled and stripped down when she loses her wings. So at this point, it's kind of like, yeah, we're with you, sister. Like, we're I'm mad on her behalf. And in this scene, they accomplish a few things. The first, as she's casting this spell on Aurora, she's getting more and more worked up. And she's yelling and she's screaming. Now, it's different from Sleeping Beauty where... Maleficent is just very matter of fact about it, but it's very, very calculated. monotone and yeah, it, her delivery is just it's commanding. Right. I got here that this was her letting off all of her aggression, yes. all of her stress that she had pent up over the years. And what is really incredible about this scene is that no matter what she's doing, no matter who she's talking to, no matter what it's in regards to, she basically never takes her eyes off of Stefan and you can cut the tension in the room with a knife. Yeah. I mean, everything that she's doing, she's not punishing Aurora. She's not punishing the queen. She's not punishing the fairies, although I wish she would. (laughs) Everything she's doing, she's doing to him. Exactly. And then she twists the knife with the true love's kiss thing. It was perfect. No, and her delivery, I mean, first of all, she nails the speech from the opening, well, well. I mean, even in the trailer, I was I was very intrigued and I was like, I think they really got the casting right. But as she goes on to deliver the speech and the curse, or even just, I remember sitting in the theater when she does the greeting to everybody and she was like, gentry and i was like oh angelina jolie showed up big time um but i think what's really well done too is that they still gave her that villainous look but angelina jolie is a smoke show she's absolutely gorgeous and for as evil as she becomes she never loses that she's still very pretty and you know, that's one of the interesting things about the animated character, too, is that she's not this, like, snaggletooth old witch. She's a villain, and she's evil, but she's still... She's tall and lanky with a defined cheekbones and chin. Yeah, she's... St- I mean, I wouldn't call the animated character pretty because she's, she's green, and she's not supposed right. to look human, but she still comes off... Like, is very refined, almost. Yes. And I think Angelina Jolie captures that, and she translates it just as well as the animation. 
I agree. The movie at times is actually kind of funny. Um, when Angelina Jolie first sees Aurora in the cottage and she's looking at her through the window and she just goes, I hate you. It's, it's <laughs> sort of catty, but it's funny. When she calls her beastie, I, I like think that that. it's funny. When the scene comes where Aurora says, you're my fairy godmother, and her face kind of falls and she's like, what? Like, <laughs> all of these years, all of these things that I did, and this is how it came off. This was not what I intended. But let's talk about everything that happens in between, where she starts to nurture and care for Aurora. This is where the movie loses me. Exactly. And I'm I'm glad it has those comedic moments because I feel like as far as her having a relationship to Aurora, that's really the only good part that comes from it is the comedic relief. Let me just stop for a moment and say, I don't want to feel bad for Cruella DeVille. And, and they're going to release that movie next year. And... I understand, or is it two years from now? It's actually, it's two years I, from they now. Pushed. Maybe a year and a half. I thought it was supposed to be Christmas, and then they pushed. Yeah, now I think it's like April of 2021, whatever it is, but it's 2021. Well, the point is this. We felt bad for Maleficent because of what she went through. I didn't need her humanized with Aurora. I don't want to feel bad for Cruella DeVille. Exactly. No, so you want to kill puppies and we want to kill you. No. Yeah. So for certain elements here, it worked. But I just feel like she was softened way too much. Yeah. I mean, they really tapped into the loved by all wish that one of the fairies bestowed upon her. I don't know which fairy it is because I'm not concerning myself with learning the three of these idiots' names because I can't stand them in this. I really can't. They're, they're insufferable. Yeah. Um, but I feel like you didn't need to have Maleficent be completely enchanted with her. I mean, I I guess I can appreciate that they took something from the original and they made it literal in this one, but... I just don't feel like it works for the character, which is a shame because that then that's what the whole movie becomes is her relationship to Aurora. But it that's again with the Wicked comparison is that Wicked did this so much better because the loopholes that they found in the Wizard of Oz, they all worked to tell the story of Wicked. Right. Here I think we found a couple of holes, but there wasn't really enough to spin this subplot of she was actually looking out for her the entire time. It does work, you know, like you said, with, I mean, obviously the whole backstory with Stefan, it, it definitely gives that a lot more meaning, a lot more feeling and that's why, you know, by the time she delivers the curse, she's screaming and we're with her on that point. But, you know, you had said it before. This whole thing was to punish Stefan. So, I mean, I guess as I'm saying it now, it does make sense because she's punishing him. Why punish an, in an innocent baby? But it still doesn't really fit the I, character. I would have been fine if she was doing all of these things because the three nitwit fairies were not going to keep this child alive. 
So if right. what, if your if if the end game for Maleficent was I'm I'm being if 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 it's a if it's a matter of circumstance, I don't want to help this child, mm. but I have to help this child because I want her to prick her finger on that spinning wheel. I want my spell to be unleashed upon her, and I want it to happen on her 16th birthday. Stefan and everybody else think they're in the clear, and they got that close, and I want to tear them down, and I want to hit them where it hurts. That would be fine. Her falling in love with Aurora, I just don't think it works. It, it, I think it takes everything that was great about Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty, and I just think it washes a lot of it away. It weakens her too much. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. It's If she wants to be the one to punish Stefan, yes, it has to be that her curse is what kills Aurora, not the stupidity of these three fairies. It can't be that she dies of starvation from neglect. Or falls off a cliff. Yeah, then there's no, Stefan's not even going to know about it because all he does know is that she's out being cared for in the middle of the woods. He's not even, is this news even going to reach him, you know? But I'm all for softening the character just for the sake of giving her the backstory and obviously finding out why she's so mean. But I feel like there were a million other ways that they could have done it. Agreed. It could have just been as simple as, Stefan kept coming after the Moors. Yeah. And she loved the Moors and that's her home and she's going to protect it. Let's talk about Stefan and how he slowly goes mad and he slowly loses his mind. I think that was great. I think the actor nailed it. I loved how unhinged he became over the course of this movie and how obsessed he became with just defeating Maleficent because there's a part of me that asks, well, he did all of this to keep his daughter alive. So for all intents and purposes, couldn't he have provided true love's kiss? However, as much as he loves his daughter, and I do believe that he does, I think his motivation in this film has almost nothing to do with keeping Aurora safe so much as it is that he has to, in his mind... He has to best Maleficent. It's, I mean, that's the whole character. It's that he's been power hungry. You know, he went from being a peasant kid who just wanted to make sure he had some security to being completely power hungry. And I think it not only plays into trying to best Maleficent, but it's also that he became the heir to the throne and now he wants his successor on the throne. He wants to keep his bloodline on the throne. But the irony is it's at the cost of, you know, he doesn't even care that his wife is dying. Um, I like that they, by the way, killed her off for the sake of his story. But at the same time, that's again, a big departure from the original sleeping beauty. You know, we mentioned it last week. That's such a rarity that they have both parents and, you know, I guess they continued the tradition in this one. And I don't love the fact that he is killed at the end either. And I I can appreciate the fact that Aurora is the one that set the wings free. 
to restore Maleficent to her true form. But I thought him getting killed off at the end and Aurora is just fine with it. She's just fine with it. I know that she hasn't really had a relationship with him up to this point in time. And and what she did see of him was absolutely psychotic. But the fact that she now finds out that she's the princess and her father's dead and she's like, okay, I'm going to go back to live in the woods now. There's there's something about this that, again, I feel like they changed the story a little too much. I would agree with that, but it almost does stay true to the character of Aurora because we had mentioned this last week that, you know, it's kind of funny that she's just so crushed that she can't reunite with Philip that night she completely loses the fact that, oh, by the way, you're a princess and we're we're returning you home. I think in this case, it kind of plays hand in hand with that aspect of her character because to her, she doesn't know her father from Adam. And in her eyes, she doesn't even look at the fairies as her godmothers anymore. She looks to Maleficent as her as this maternal figure and the one who has cared for her. And I feel, I I guess she feels like there's more of a, a connection to her than anyone else. Yeah. And the movie obviously ends with us finding out that there's two sides to every story. And the narrator of the film is Aurora and she wanted the story told. Um, but I, I don't know. There was just something about it that just didn't, it didn't jive with me. Yeah, I kind of wish that they had taken the narration out for two reasons. Number one, because we're supposed to be invested in Maleficent. We're supposed to, even though she is the villain, this is supposed to make us sympathetic towards her. So I don't think we really needed a narrator directing us because we're led to feel that way anyway. But especially in the beginning... They set it up and they say a great hero or villain could bring the two kingdoms together. And I was like, man, foreshadowing much? Like, it was just so on the nose. Yeah. It was so on the nose. And I appreciate the fact that they're they're saying, you know, we're going to tell you the unknown story. But you just didn't need that. Yeah. Especially when the unknown story doesn't really always work. Correct. And in this case, a lot of the times, it doesn't. Let's talk about the cast. We talked about Angelina Jolie. Um, There is one thing I want to circle back to regarding her, though. Um, I think, you know, you said it before, the, the, you know, her in the costume just fires on all cylinders it works a thousand percent she looks amazing um what say you on the cheekbones because i remember when we got the first look everybody was like why enhance the cheekbones why enhance the cheekbone and you know like i said she's gorgeous she's got amazing bone structure she didn't really need the help and i kind of go back and forth because i feel like they look weird sometimes But then after watching Sleeping Beauty last week, I was kind of like, well, they do give her that angular look in more so in profile. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah. I think that the prosthetics here, I think they're good in the entire movie. I think that 
Diavol's nose when he's in human form is very good. I think her cheekbones are great. I, yeah, I'm all about it. What I really like, too, is that they gave her, like, several different costumes. Like, when she's in the Moors, she's got, like, that more earthy look it's it's a different cowl like it still has the horns and everything but it's more it's it's brown and it's check textured and what i really love about what they did too was that all of the uh like all of them have animal prints yeah so it definitely makes her more earthly and of the woods it's rustic yeah what do you think of the horns though that's another thing where i mean obviously you need them for when she's in the full costume but that's something I kind of go back and forth with, too, is that she's supposed to be a fairy. So I don't know. I feel like they're kind of weird. Like, they look cool coming up out of the her hair when it's down, like, as a child and in, as an adult. Right. But I don't know. It's kind of... Like I said, you need it for the full costume, but I don't know that I needed it necessarily. Like, I would have been fine if that was a hat. You know what I mean? Right, because Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty, I don't know that she necessarily had horns so much as that was just her headpiece. I guess it it just kind of started my wheels turning. Like, it makes her a little bit more animalistic because she's yeah, had them she's the whole like time. She's almost like a centaur. Yeah, and we've seen her with it as a child. So, I mean, I get it. I know you needed to get us there to the full costume, but it's almost like I would have been more than okay. Like if you, if you like killed a deer and then made a hat out of it, you know? Yeah. Well, that would have been, well, I, I was going to say that would be very uncharacteristic of her, but you do see how she lets the moors crumble. But yeah, there, there are times where I look at it and I expect her to go, call me Phil. Yeah. <laughs> With those things. Yes. Yeah. Um, that, that, it's okay. Um, I can kind of take them or leave them. Um, I think they look good. I, I think that they definitely nailed the look. Like I said, I, I, I'm hot and cold on them. I, you know what? I think I like them on her more as an adult than I do as a child. I would agree with that. because They look awkward on the child. Yeah, and it's not to say, I mean, they blended everything perfectly yeah. the way that they come up out of the hair, but yeah, they're, they're very big for her as a child. I right. think that's where I started to notice it most. Like, it never bothered me as an adult, because like I said, you know what you're going to see eventually when she crashes the party, and you need that. But then it's like you've had them your whole life. I'm just It's just an interesting choice that they made that she's had them throughout. Right. Well, Robert Stromberg was the director here, and Linda... Um... Wolverton was the screenwriter and Angelina Jolie had some uh, creative power with the script as well. They made, they all made some interesting choices. The horns being one of them, it doesn't ruin anything for me. Certainly no more than some of the other issues that we talked about earlier. No, absolutely. And then what are our other options? If they would have changed the party crashing costume and gotten Forget rid of them it. all together. No, there'd have been a mutiny. Yep. There would have been a mutiny. Yeah. Um, are we good to move on to the cast here? Yeah. Well, in my opinion, she's really the only one that they got right. I feel like you threw all your chips in that basket. And it's not just because she's a name actress. I I disagree. All right. But, uh, who, do you, who do you want to go to? You want to go Aurora? You want to go Stefan? Where do you want to go? So here's the thing. Let's start with Stefan. 
Uh, oh, good. Charlto Copley. Yes. Is his name. He is not your atypical leading man in terms of his look. I think that he does look like King Stefan, especially once he has the beard and the hair. And I said it before. I think that him losing his mind and going insane, that's not the character. That's the actor. And I think he knocked that out of the park. I will give you that one. I believe him as King Stefan. And like you said, yeah, once he gets that like real like Grizzly Adams beard going, definitely. I'm all for it. But what I don't like there there's two things. Number one, it's not the accent. I'm I'm not faulting your accent, but you talk like you have marbles in your mouth. And half the time you can barely understand him. So that really bothers me. I also don't believe that this guy could get Angelina Jolie and forget the fact that she was married to Brad Pitt. The woman has wings and horns. <laughs> Aunt May ended up with Happy Hogan. Don't even get me started. Do not even get me started. Yeah, in Chef, John Favreau also thinks he can get with Scarlett Johansson. And Sophia Maybe Vergara. Maybe when he was in Swingers. But not now. And Sophia Vergara. That's right. And oh Jamie Presley in um, I Love You, Man. Yeah. He, he's always yeah. been cast opposite somebody that you go, really? It must be good to be Favreau. Apparently. And we love John Favreau. Let's not mix signals here. But, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but of all the... Th- I'll give you the Maleficent. Like I'll give Thank you. Like you. I'll give you. Thank you. I'll give you that. Yeah. She's sleeping. <laughs> She's so sleeping. <laughs> so I'll give. I'm 100 on board with that. Now he's also a South African actor trying to do a Scottish accent. Why you couldn't have found a Scottish actor? Find me a handsome Scottish actor then. What was Colin Farrell doing? Granted, he's Irish, but still. I would have rather seen Colin Farrell do this. That only dawned on me now. I was trying to think of who who did it better. All right. I will I will give you that. He's very talented, especially when we see him become mentally unhinged. Pulls that off great. I just don't buy him as a leading man. I don't. Elle Fanning. Oh, God. I think she nailed the flowery. She nails the flowery for sure, but that's about all she does. She's playing Aurora, though. I mean, what else do you want from her? I couldn't have cast her as Cinderella. That would have been poor casting. I think she was actually cast very well in this movie. What I like that they did is that they made 16 believable. Because I feel like Aurora... We were talking about it last week, and, you know, they were... At Cinderella, this is where Disney tried to transition to making these characters look more realistic and making especially the princesses look more like the Hollywood starlets of the time. Yeah, the Jane Mansfields of the world. Exactly. And, you know, I had said it last, you you start to see a little bit more eyelashes and a little bit of a darker lip. So I feel like Aurora looks way older than 16. She looks more like 21. Yeah. So I like that they 
they made her look like more of a kid, but I feel like Elle Fanning looks like too young. I think Elle Fanning looks like a 14-year-old who looks older than she really is. Well, I think the kid that they had cast as Philip in this film, he looked young too, so they were believable as a couple. And actually, that was a little... um, less uncomfortable than the notion that a 16-year-old was going to marry a 21-year-old or a 22-year-old. And we're just deciphering how much older we think Philip was in Sleeping Beauty. Exactly. No, I like that they leveled the playing field a bit here. Yeah. But I just... I mean, she she nailed the flowery thing, but it it was, like, way too much. I mean, this was airheady. It really was. The, The constant giggling... And it, I don't know, she was just like one dimensional. She almost was coming off the way that Amy Adams came off in Enchanted. Which was it, done purposely. Right. And it almost comes off as yeah. a parody. Yeah, exactly. What was it? Giselle, right? Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It, it maybe is a little over the top. I, I don't know. Uh, like, I know that she was trying to go for this you know, like majestic, earthly, sweet, kind princess. But like most of the time, I, I don't know, she just got like this glazed over look on her face. Yeah, I, I think she did a good job. But I mean, that's just me. I don't know. The fannings kind of scare me. So maybe I'm a bit biased. I like Sam Riley in this movie as Dievel. Totally. I dig him. I thought he did a good job. I thought he was believable. Yeah, I like, I, I like I the, the whole thing. I thought the chemistry was good. I, I just like the introduction of that character, or not introduction because, you know, she does have the bird in the original, but I, I like that they, you know, gave him the human form. I like that he's even more of a henchman. Um, yeah, no, he's great. He kind of reminds me of Orlando Bloom, but like not in a rip-offy way. Uh, yeah, I agree. I thought that they were I thought that they were natural together on screen, both him and Angelina Jolie. I thought they pulled it off. I will say this, as much as I dislike the fairies, um I do love that they cast Imelda Staunton in this one. Um she's a a really big actress in England. Um Probably most notably is Harry Potter. She plays um, Dolores Umbridge. That's where most people would know her from. But she was also in um, this movie that I love, Vera Drake. Um, it's a heavy, heavy movie. I think it. I think it won. Uh, she got like a BAFTA for it or whatever the equivalent of the Oscars is. Um, but I really like her as an actress. So it was. I don't know. It was cool seeing her in this movie, but I, I hate that that was the role that she was in. Okay. Like, I, I wish that she was playing... You know what I kind of wish that they had done? I wish she played all three fairies, and where they used the CGI, it was to make her look different in the blue, pink, and green. Yeah, because the CGI, I think, for the most part, is pretty good in this movie. There are some instances where it's bad, but I, I feel like CGI just is what it is. I think that it's run its course. I think it's the best it's going to be. I don't think it's going to get much better than what it is. And I think that sometimes, and we were talking about this on Sunday night when I came out to see you at Hamptons, Dan Aykroyd in the new Ghostbusters movie coming out has said 
he's lobbying for the use of puppets. Mm -hmm. He wants puppets because he doesn't care that they're more expensive. He thinks they look better than CGI ghosts. And I agree agree with him. For something like Ghostbusters. But, I mean, then when you compare it to something like Avengers, I mean, it's flawless. It's flawless. I mean, I I would have to see... Well, Avengers is also going to have a lot bigger of a budget than this movie is. Right. I mean, I would have to see Endgame again. Maybe you find like one or two things. But this one, I mean, it's still a Disney movie and like sloppy CGI is unacceptable. Not that it was that that bad at any point, but like those little the butterflies things. were stupid, constantly flying around the blue fairy. And yeah, the ogre thing. I don't know. That didn't bother me that much, though. Although I kind of wish that they had got like the aesthetic of them kind of looked it reminded me of like a Jim Henson mm-hmm. there I would have liked to see the, the puppetry they look like Hubert came to life yeah yeah so some good some bad there I think that the music there's no singing really but I thought the score was good I think it worked for the movie it was sure it was big enough um so I think in all if I'm sort of summing this up, I think I think the Moors are stunning. I thought that the sets mm. in general in this movie were really good. The costumes were great, and that's reflective in that it got nominated for an Oscar for Best Costumes. For me, there was some good and some bad. At no fault of the actors, of course, but I think all in all, it's a good movie. It's not a great movie, but it's a good movie. And I do enjoy watching it. Yeah, I feel like I liked it more the first time I saw it in theaters, and that's probably because of Angelina Jolie's performance. But now after a couple more viewings and seeing how they changed the story, I mean, we didn't even really get into this, is that, you know, probably the most egregious thing that they did is that Philip's kiss is not what wakes her up. I mean, and that that's what I'm talking about, where... You know, Wicked just does this so much better. And forget that I'm completely biased and I'm a fan of Wicked. There were, the the way that they just drew the story out of The Wizard of Oz, it was airtight. Here, it's kind of like, yes, we're supposed to be getting a peek behind the curtain and seeing the story that we didn't know, but... You tell me where in the original Sleeping Beauty Maleficent was hiding as he's going to kiss her. You know? Yeah. I I get it in the concept in the context of like if she was in the room this is why she didn't try to stop him and thwart him one more time but in the actual movie she's dead at this point right or in a death like sleep no 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 I'm talking about the dragon he's oh, slayed the dragon he's yes slayed the yes. dragon to get to her then kisses her now we learn that she's not even and and that was the other thing she's not the dragon i mean we did talk about it a little bit last week where it's like she's powerful enough on her own she doesn't even need to transform and she's already you know she's crazy she's a powerful villain without that now you're taking like the biggest part of it and, and you're giving that's it to where Diebel, it completely yeah. changed yeah um, but we're interested. I mean, uh, do you have a final synopsis on this or, or have you kind of run your course in terms of your opinion of it? No, that's I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I will say this. Um, 
I'm glad that for a live action with as much flaw that we found, I would have rather to see this than a Sleeping Beauty live action remake. In spite of all the problems, I think it is one of the better Disney live action interpretations of an animated character. Right. And especially because they're spitting out so many remakes now, I like that we did get a different twist on it, that it's, you know, a villain story. You know, I would love to see them do this with Ursula. In, instead of remaking The Little Mermaid, I, I'd love to see the fallout between her and Triton. Right. And maybe, you know, can they do it with Jafar now that we've gotten our live-action remake of Aladdin? Yeah, but I didn't love this Jafar, so, like, I, well, I kind of feel like leave him. it be. Recast yeah. him. Uh, yeah. Get somebody else. But we're interested to know what you guys have to say. Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. News this week, we don't know much, but we did finally get a trailer drop for Jungle Cruise. And I am so excited. Oh, my God. Let me ask you something. Do you get the feeling, because I do, that... The setup for this movie is that he has basically set up a fake jungle cruise. I really hope so. And and they kind of got get like swept into the real thing. Yes. There's enough hokiness where I hope that's the direction that they're going. It's like, a little fright nighty. Yeah. Cause the first time I saw it, I didn't see it with sound. I couldn't listen to it. I was not in a great place. And I, I couldn't turn the volume up, so but I, I couldn't not watch it. So when I finally did get to watch it, with, I mean, I was impressed out of the gate. But um, when I finally did get to watch it with the sound, I was kind of blown away by it. Like, I love that, um, you know, we're seeing like those Pirates of the Caribbean like gimmicks where Emily Blunt is kind of like jumping around the set from like ladders and swinging around things to make an escape. Um I love the hokiness that The Rock is bringing to it. I love that they incorporated the backside of water. It's like, you know, you needed to deliver on that, and they did. I love that they gave it to us right away. Yeah, it, it's like Pirates of the Caribbean meets Indiana Jones meets Jewel of the Nile. Yeah, so I'm I'm here for it. I'm super Super excited about it. You guys can let us know what you think of the trailer and if you are excited to see the movie again on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. Other big news this week Kevin Feige was just named the head of Marvel. Yeah. I mean, did anybody really think he was going to leave? No. No. Not at all. But I think it bodes well for Marvel moving forward. Not just stuff that you're going to see in the MCU, but I also think this bodes well for a lot of the things that are coming to Disney Plus and the streaming service in the future. I also just think he's such a big Disney fan. I, I really think he's going to do a lot here. Yeah. I think that when they eventually get around to doing the X-Men films, I think he's going to crush it. I'm interested to see what happens here with um with Deadpool. Obviously it's going to be R rated, but I'm curious to see 
what the future is for that character. Because let's not forget, you know, he is a part of the X-Men. Does he eventually cross over? Right. I mean, that was kind of the biggest one that I had in mind because I don't think even with Disney Plus and even though, you know, they're really starting to merge everything together now, I don't think they're going to step off the gas on that one. I think that... um I think Ryan Reynolds has put way too much into it, and I don't think he's going to let that happen. Even when when they announced Disney Plus, you know, he posted a picture of Deadpool and the mouse deers, and he yeah. was he was like, "It feels like it's the first day of school" or something like that. It was really funny, um, and it's a cash cow. Yeah, so I'm hoping you know, even after he gets his his third movie, we will see him in the X Men. But who knows? Yeah, but it's exciting news nonetheless. And I know that we're both very excited to see what comes in the MCU and, of course, on Disney Plus in regards to Marvel franchises. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week on Monorail Radio. We talked about how we're eventually going to see the Jungle Cruise on the big screen. But if you'd like to see the Jungle Cruise in person, Jackie can help get you there. Yes, get in touch with me to go see the backside of water. You can either hit us up on our social media at Monoreal Radio, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.